You're listening. You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. If you want to learn about the music industry and you don't know where to go, tune in to WP88.7. Can you, how long can you say, hey! About that long. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. Music Biz 101 and more on Brave New Radio. This is the podcast. This is the radio show. Follow us, musicbiz101wp.com, at musicbiz101wp, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, the Spotify. We're here today with Josh Terry. Who's Josh Terry? It's going to be great. We're going to have a good discussion, seven-hour-long discussion, because there's plenty of time, because there's nothing to do. And uh, we're going to talk all about Josh. We have Michelle Buzico, who's uh, from University of Miami. Miami. There we go. Univer- is it University of Miami? Yep. Okay. What do you want to be when you grow up, by the way? I didn't ask you in the last interview. Ooh, um, I either want to be a tour manager or an artist very good, because we're speaking with an artist manager who used to be a tour manager, who's nice. putting on a tour this summer slash festival. So you'll find out after this discussion if you still want to do that with your life <laughs> or instead you want to go into um, the performing arts. So there we go. So we want to give thanks real quick. First of all, we want to say uh, hello to Dr. Esteban Marconi. He's the guy who usually does this with me, and he had back surgery. Ooh last week. So instead of him being here in Nashville, he's in Backville. Yeah. So here we go. But we want to give thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Dave Matthews, Three Doors Down, St. Vincent, and Kiss. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. Go to vb-cpa.com when you're ready. And we also want to give thanks. When I point to you, Michelle, into the microphone, I want you to say oi. Okay? Got it. We want to give thanks to Christine Oi. They. You, you really gave it. That's great. Let's try it again. Christine. Oi. They, a wealth manager and the president of. Oi. They Wealth Management. Christine has helped many professionals in the world manage their investments plan after their retirement. If you're looking for some guidance on how to plan for your retirement, if you have questions on anything from investments and portfolio management to insurance to retirement planning, give Christine a call at, please repeat after me, Josh Terry, 732. 732. 455. 455. 1,510. 1,510. You know, you can also email her, Christine at they for advisement and leave the last oi off for savings. So we are now ready to begin. So why don't we start with Josh Terry. You are an artist manager. You're involved in brand development. You um, also do music licensing, and you have the Sad Summer Music Festival coming yep. up. Where do you want to start? Uh, in you, any you, of those forms. Uh, <laughs> why don't we go back? Because yeah. you had mentioned, um, how did you get in to the right. business, and how did you get to where you are now where you're making a living doing all these different things? <laughs> yeah, because there was a long time in there. Um, so I got started when I was in college. I went to college to be a journalist. I went to the University of South Carolina. Um, and is that I, where you're from? I'm from Greenville, South Carolina, a smaller suburb of Greenville, which is about 90 minutes away. And I went to school to be a journalist, and within a week, I realized, oh, I, I don't want to do this at all. Like, I was in some magazine and print writing classes, like, this is boring. I don't even read the newspaper. Why do I want to do this? Um, 
And so quickly, one of my friends was like, well, if you don't know what you want to do before you start scrambling about switching majors, why don't you like join some organizations on campus and just kind of get a footing for like meeting people and seeing what kind of similar interests there are. So I joined two things. I joined my school's bicentennial celebration, which brought like speakers to campus for the 200 year anniversary of the school. And I joined um, the programming board on our, on our college campus. Um, the, the bicentennial thing brought Dr. Patch Adams to campus and he was supposed to speak about how he had started this hospital and how he's doing all this good. And then the concert board is what I joined in the programming board because there was literally three other people on it. I was like, oh, this is the easiest way in. I had started listening to Napster. I was just getting into music as a, as a freshman in college. Both experiences were a good like trial by fire. The Patch Adams thing we did sold out, sold like a thousand tickets. It was a big thing for the university. We picked him up. I had this vision in my head of who Dr. Patch Adams was from watching the Robin Williams movie wrong he was the worst person i've ever met in my entire life um, like, like a like a mean dude an or? awful human being really yeah no like kidding. just like uh we went to a children's hospital to meet with these kids that had cancer and like before we went in there he was just complaining and like i hate seeing these little brats this is i was like what in the hell like chain smoking um we go do the event and like he's really on when he's with the kids he comes out he's like washing his hands like just a miserable person and is like okay this Robin Williams is the greatest actor of our time um so I did that and that was a very like as weird as that was it kind of turned some knob in my head of like the backstage of this is more interesting than seeing the show like seeing what actually happens and what all goes to like all the offers we had to submit to get him to come like I found that very fascinating and I also found out that I was pretty good at that like I was really good at the details so I did that, and then I joined the concert board. That was interesting, too. I was into music, had no clue how a concert got put on. Um, and I, I remember there was this woman named Mackenzie who was, she was probably 20. She was in charge of the concert board. It was her, her best friend, and her boyfriend. And they had a show two weeks later with this alternative rock band called Jimmy's Chicken Shack from Maryland. They had a hit on the radio, um, and we had a 700-cap ballroom booked that night. They sold 11 tickets to the show. And so when the show started, McKenzie had a nervous breakdown. You're going you're gonna to note that a lot of the big breaks I got early in my career were people having nervous breakdowns. So there's a theme there. You got to break out of the breakdown. Yeah. Right. So she, she freaked out. She walked out. And when she left, her boyfriend left and her best friend left. And that left little old me at 18 years old to run a concert board with no experience. So I was lucky that I did that for three years. I built a staff from zero to 70 by the time I left. We went on, we had a bunch of like MTV campus invasions. We brought the used. Um, we almost had Ryan Adams, we almost had Dave Matthews. Um, and then we built, the, we built the board to a place to where right before I left, we had Dave Chappelle come in. We also built it to where they could bring Kanye West in to play an arena show, which is the first time they did an arena show in 30 years. You had some decent budgets then. Well, we started with 30000 mm -hmm. and because the shows were successful, we were able to charge for them. We started making money, and, the, and then the school every year started giving us more money because they thought, oh, wow, students are really into what they're doing, which apparently for the previous five years, students were not into the jugglers or whatever they were bringing to campus that wasn't drawing any crowds. Um, so I did that. I also, I'm a maniac in this sense. I learned really quick that I wanted to do this, and I had 14 internships in college. So 14, 14 in four years in four years, plus you ran the, ran the plus I ran the concert board and I worked at like, so I did everything from like, I worked for small artist managers, small booking agents, um, festivals, different types of promoters. I worked at every club in town. 
I worked for a record label owned by Hootie and the Blowfish. Mm-hmm. Um, anywhere, was the name of the label? It was called Breaking Records at the time. Um, and they put out compilations. They also had signed like one of my favorite bands in college, Jump Little Children. Um, and so there was just like, it felt like this Southeastern hub. So I, I, I did all this. Anyone that would let me work for free and sweep their floors and yell at me, I interned for them. Um, and so while I was a freshman also, I really got into Napster and I was really into discovering unsigned bands. I would, I would listen to stuff on Napster and I would say, oh, cool, like this band's playing in town this week. Let me download every single record they have. And if I like it, I'll go to the show. And if I don't like it, I'll just delete all these files. That's how I started going to live shows. And I really got to know a lot of the bands from the region, a lot of the smaller bands that were breaking on a national level, um, and just became interested in that. Through that, I discovered these things called the Aware Compilations, which were these compilations put out by this company in Chicago called Aware Records that put basically 12 to 13 unsigned bands on these compilations. Within the next year, of those 12 to 13 bands, eight or nine of them signed major record deals. So I was like, these guys know something I don't know about, and I like all the same types of music, and it kind of they were kind of my A&R tool into like my new favorite bands before all my friends knew they were going to be their favorite bands. Um, so I became a college rep for them as well, so whenever they had like Train or John Mayer would come through Charlotte or Atlanta or God forbid they played Columbia. We had John Mayer play to three people in Columbia one time. Um, they would send me out and say, hey, go leave school early, go to the campus near wherever this show's at, put up all these posters, pass out all these samplers, and then go to the show an hour early, set up the merch, sell the merch, you'll get a free t-shirt, and we'll pay you gas money. I can't tell you how many times I drove to Alabama, to Georgia, to North Carolina, overnight, did the show, drove back that night, made it in time for my classes. I was going to say, you also went to college at this time. Totally, yeah. I did go to college. I barely graduated, but I did go to college. Um, my mom has the degree at her house. Um, it's a big thing. Um, but that, that was how I kind of learned it. I, I worked from everyone from the smallest person that had just local bands to regional people to even the national level. Um, so I did that through college. My, Matt, just... Yeah. One thing I just want to comment positively. Yeah. Um, well, there's nothing negative to say <laughs> anyway, but um, is you used college to the best of your abilities. Some yeah. people use college because they want to take classes and they want to learn about that. College for you gave you that open door to do all this totally. other stuff. So even though you might not have been the best college student, you yeah. were the best student totally. of the industry and what was going on. Yeah. There, well, I was the only person yeah. in South Carolina that that really wanted to do this. I didn't, none of my peers were like, I'm going to get in the music business. Mm -hmm. Like I didn't have a thing like in Nashville where they have Belmont where you have like, you can go to every solid and yet meeting in the world because you're in town. Like in Columbia, South Carolina, the only people I knew that did music were the small local band managers or the guys that ran the clubs. And those guys also sometimes were also the drug dealers in town. So I was learning from the best, but yeah, I I got a dual, I got a dual degree. I, I got my degree in journalism which I'm really glad I did. I don't know that it necessarily helped me in the music business, but it gave me some foundation for how to be in meetings and how to like meet demands and deadlines. But I got a, another degree in learning the music business from everyone that was patient enough to give me their time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that helped me so much later in my career because like, I learned what it was like to have patience with young people. I learned what it's like to not, to not have to be the smartest person in the room that sometimes an 18-year-old kid's smarter than you. And how to listen to them. Um, it was very helpful for me. So, right. yeah. You're the anti-Patch Adams. <laughs> I am, yeah. I, I, I hope I'm never like Patch Adams. Um, <laughs> but so I, my junior year, I, 
I accepted an internship at this company, Aware Records, in Chicago. Um, I'd never been out of state. Um, I flew to Chicago um, on a small bit of money. It was an unpaid internship, and I ended up working there five days a week from 7 in the morning till about 8 o'clock at night every single day. Where did you live? I lived in a neighborhood of Lakeview, which at the time was pretty rough. Um, my parents had helped me find this like $650 studio that I lived in that basically it was so small that they had a hole in the door in the bathroom so the toilet seat could fit through it to shut the door okay. because the bathroom <laughs> was too small. Um, and it was scary. I had never mm -hmm. lived outside the state. I was by myself working for these people that I knew through email but didn't know in person, making no money, living – like literally I tell people I lived off cheese toast. I didn't live off grilled cheese sandwiches because that would mean you'd have to use two pieces of bread. Right. So I, I would live off like paper plates that I couldn't throw away because I had nothing else to eat them on. So I'd recycle the paper plates, a slice of bread, a slice of cheese, and I lived off that for a summer. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I did that. for, sh And I, those guys loved me. They were really careful. Like they were really caring to me. They – they knew a lot of the people I knew in the South. Can I interrupt one more time? Yeah. Sorry. Just because part of that story, the reason I asked where you live, it, where did you live? Because you had no money. So did you, your parents helped you that summer. Yeah. Because the reason I asked that is there were a lot of students of the industry, college kids who were going to ask yeah. or they're listening and they're saying, well, I could never do that. I didn't have the money. I don't have, you know. Totally. And you just explain how to get it done, basically. Totally. Don't. Lose yeah, some weight, but get the work done. Totally. And you're young, you know. Totally. You're at that time. You're twenty. You're junior. So you're I was, twenty. Twenty one. Twenty one. Okay. I just turned twenty one. But unlike my fellow interns, I did not go out and drink every night. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, my parents helped me a little bit, and I also saved some money up, and we kind of just made it work together. Um, I knew this was the. I didn't get to do a backpacking through Europe college experience. Going to Chicago and working for free was right. the experience I wanted. Um, did that left that internship literally on the last day of that internship i got a call from a guy who i knew back in south carolina never worked for him he was a tour manager he had tour managed john mayer he had tour managed um saliva and a bunch of other big bands and he had did my concert board position two two positions before i did he's a little bit older than me his name was vance and vance called me and said hey you've been working with the aware guys this summer right i was like yeah he's like i have this artist from mississippi that I'm going to start managing. I'm out with I'm out with John Mayer right now. I'm about to go out with this guy Howie Day, um, but I'm also going to manage some stuff from the road. I need somebody to come in and be my day to day. Would you day to day this kid for me for a hundred bucks a week? He's like, and and at that time nobody had ever paid me any money to do this, not a dime. So a hundred dollars a week felt like I was going to make three million dollars a day. So I was like, absolutely. Well, I will I will take your trash out if you want, sir. Um, so I did that. Um, who was the artist? This guy named Owen Beverly, um, who was at the time he was people saw him as like the next coming of Jeff Buckley, mm -hmm. which was very who's from Miss Jackson, Mississippi. Right. He was 19 years old, had this great voice, but he just wasn't ready. And we had a lot of hype on the kid. We did a label showcase within three months, and 11 A and R guys came out, and Owen choked. Really, he choked. He was. He, is, he was drunk. He forgot some of the words of his songs. He was just nervous. This is the most pressure he'd ever been under. And he choked. And I watched it go from like, man, we're going to make a ton of money off this to no one's calling us back. Mm -hmm. And so then, fast forward to that, I, get, I started a business in college around working with Owen. I was like, okay, I need to book some regional bands and manage some regional bands to make a little bit of money because when I graduate, 
none of these people that I've worked for have enough money to pay anybody else. So I've got to, I've got to survive somehow. But I was going to start this business with Vance after I got out of school. So I just narrowly started a college business. Two of my bands ended up signing record contracts within six months. Who were they? This band called The Films, who was from Charleston, South Carolina. Their claim to fame is the lead singer, Mike, ended up becoming the, lead, the male lead singer in Shovels and Rope. Mm-hmm. Um, the bassist, Jake, ended up becoming a huge producer named Jake Sinclair, who's done Weezer Records and Sia Records and Beck. He did the Greatest Showman soundtrack. Mm-hmm. He's a huge producer. The drummer became the graphic designer that later helped design some album covers for Butch Walker and The Fray and a couple other bands. Um, and Kenny, the guitarist, ended up going on to become the guitarist for Panic at the Disco. Um, so that like ba- a super group. They before, were, you know? and they were not successful when we worked. Right. Other than getting that label deal and then getting dropped, like after the band broke up, their career flourished. Mm-hmm. Um, I also managed. I also booked this band called King Elementary, which was from Mississippi as well. They were kind of the early coming of Cage the Elephant. They the record never came out. They, they were a mess. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I also worked with this young girl named Carrie Ann Hurst, who was like this Jillian Welch, young Southern girl. She ended up becoming the female lead in Shovels and Rope. Her and Mike started dating when I was representing both their bands. They got married 10 years later. Their band became a success. Um, so those so, you, so you, bring, you bring lovers together. <laughs> you create families. I think they were poor enough that they had to live together at that point <laughs> while we worked together. So I started this business right before I graduated college. And like I said, at that point... Those bands were just getting started. Owen was our biggest band. He, he botched the label thing. And three days before I graduated college, all my family's coming in to celebrate me graduating. Owen calls. He's like, hey, dude, uh, just letting you know, I fired Vance, which means I fired you. And I'm going, I'm going back to Mississippi. And I'm painting houses for the rest of my life. I'm done with this. Peace. And I'm like, holy crap. I'm moving to Charleston, South Carolina, which is where like all the bands were getting signed from. I was like, I'm moving there in two weeks. And my parents are coming down here, and I got to tell them, my biggest client's gone. I don't really have a job that makes me money. All my bands are small, and I'm going to move 90 more minutes away from you, and I don't even know where I'm going to live now. So this is the Jerry Maguire yeah, story. Totally. You're Tom like, Cruise at this point. You ever <laughs> see Jerry Maguire? You know what I'm talking about, yeah. Michelle? Yeah. Okay, yeah. <laughs> um, and my parents were like, okay, like, well, figure it out. And so I moved to Charleston. A buddy of mine who had helped on the Owen project, was a manager. He managed like Duncan Sheik and Will Hogue at the time. Mm -hmm. He said, hey, I got a client that's like a regional band. They're going to be out all summer. If you want to house sit for them for the next four months, you can live there rent-free. Sweet. Yeah. Awesome. He's like, also, I know you don't have a place to work now that this whole Vance situation didn't work out. I got a closet in my office that I'll put a phone line in. If you'll pay for the phone line, you you can work out of the closet. Sweet. Wow. So I worked in a closet in his mm-hmm. office with a phone line and developed more bands and did that for about a year. After a year, my bands, the two bands that were on deals got dropped. What year is this, by the way? Are we in 01, 02? This is, by this point, it's 04. 04, okay. 04. 04 into 05. 05, both of my bands get dropped. I hadn't talked to Vance in a year since Owen fired us. He kind of disappeared off the face of the earth. Mm-hmm. And he calls me after my second band got dropped. And again, it's all like time work. I wish I was making this up, but it's just how it worked. He called me and said, Josh, I know both your bands got screwed. I know you're in a hard spot. Do you want to come out this summer? I'm with Howie Day. We're going on this. We're supporting Dave Matthews' band. We're co-headlining with Gavin DeGraw, who at the time had a huge hit, just mm-hmm. like Howie had a huge hit. And we're going to headline some House of Blueses. So it's like amphitheaters, theaters, clubs. 
would you like to come out and sell shirts for the summer? And I was like, at this point, I was, I was like mad. I hadn't talked to this guy in a year. He got us fired from our last job. I was like, man, I got to think about it. I don't know. And he's like, okay, waited a day. He called me back. He's like, do you, do you really need to think about this? Like, seems like you need money right now. And I was like, you're right. He's like, I'll pay you 700 bucks a week, which was about $550 more a week than I was yeah. making on any of my bands. And I said, okay. He's like, we're going to start the tour here. It'll go for a couple months. We'll see where the cycle's at, how he's got a top 10 single right now. We did the tour. Within a week of the tour, I learned that in that scenario, everybody had so much to do that I had to do more than sell t-shirts. So within a week, I got promoted from just the merchandise manager to the merchandise manager slash road manager slash assistant tour manager. So at 23, I was settling shows in amphitheaters, arenas, theaters, and clubs, which I'd never done before. I was dealing with hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash. Um, I was responsible for two buses, what time they left, what time they got there, the run show of the day, waking Howie up, which he was having alcohol and substance abuse problems at that time, doing the press or canceling the press, and then making sure at the end, by the time Howie got on stage, he was on stage, and he got off, and he got to do whatever the fuck he wanted to do at that point. Um, yeah, so, so we did that. I did that tour for a couple months, thought that was going to be my gig for a while, how he went to rehab. <laughs> so I go home, I'm like, oh man, I don't know what I'm doing now. Continued managing the bands I was working with from the road. A couple weeks later, Howie's backing band was this band, Jump Little Children, I t that I told you about earlier, that it was a big band of mine in college. They were doing a retirement tour. They said, JT, will you come out? Like, we'll have you tour manage, we'll have you sell merch, and we'll teach you how to do monitors. Pay $500 a week. Sweet, I got nothing else. Two-month gig, did that. The last show of that tour, I, got, I had interviewed for this band, Motion City Soundtrack. It was from Minneapolis, it was a punk band, and I didn't get the gig. The last show of the Jump Tour, I got a call while they were playing a symphony show from Jason Rio, this guy at Aware that managed Motion City. And he said, hey, can you be in Syracuse, New York tomorrow? I said, why? He's like, Motion City's guitar tech just had a nervous breakdown because we were having him be the tour manager, the monitor guy, the, every, he had seven gigs. He's threatening to quit unless we get somebody out here to save his butt. You're gonna get fired in a week. They hate everybody that's ever worked for them. Uh -huh. So just do this as a favor to me. Fly to New York for a week and be with them for the first week of this tour. They'll can you because they're not gonna like you. And then you can go home and do whatever you need to do. Cool. Flew to Syracuse, New York the next day. I was with that band for a year and a half. That record, the cycle they were on ended up going gold. They went from a band that could sell 500 tickets to 3,000 tickets by the time I left. And then at the end of that, like at the end of that cycle, I was burnt out from touring. And I got a call from Jason again, this guy, Greg Latterman, Steve Smith and Mark Cunningham who work at Aware. And they're like, hey, we remember you when you interned here. We've watched you through this Motion City stuff. We need a young manager to come in and kind of help work with our roster, day-to-day -day some stuff, but also be able to sign their own stuff. Can you be here in three weeks? And so I moved to Chicago mm -hmm. in the dead of winter, which I'd never been a part of before. And, uh, and I started working at Aware. And the first couple of things we signed were like Matt Carney, The Fray, we eventually signed Brandy Carlisle, Jack's Mannequin, Michelle Branch. Um, and I, I started working at this small boutique company in Chicago that grew from this small boutique company to this multi-million dollar company that at, at the height we had four bands that were in top 10 on Hot AC and Pop Radio that were up for Grammys. It was a cool experience. Um, I worked at that company for nine years. Halfway through that nine years, I was like, I do not like Chicago, Illinois. I am out of this place. It's too cold. It snowed nine months in a row. And I walked to my boss's office and said, hey, 
I'm either quitting or you're moving me somewhere because the snow is too much. He's like, where do you want to go? I said, well, my family's in South Carolina. I don't want to go to New York. I don't want to go to LA. I've been to Nashville a bunch because we manage Matt Carney and I'd be near Matt. Maybe just move me to Nashville. It was cheap. So he moved me to Nashville and I've been here for eight years now. Worked for that company for about four more years and eventually the company started winding down. Some of our managers went to Red Light and Mick and Live Nation and just kind of felt like t the time was there. I had a conversation with my then boss and said, hey, I've got a good book of business. I've got a good clientele right now, but I think I need to do something else. And specifically since I'm down here, I don't want to go to Red Light or Vector. Nothing, nothing's wrong with those companies, but I want to do something unique kind of like you did. And when I first got started, I didn't have the means to do it. I didn't have the book of business. I didn't have the relationships. I do now, thanks to you. I'm going to start a business. Can I get your blessing to do it and leave? And I was going to leave right then because I didn't want to affect him anymore. And he's like, no, slow down. He's like, stay here for a year. I'll rework your deal. It'll allow you time to save money. It'll allow you time to LLC. It'll allow you time to actually name the company. Did you think about naming the company? Um, I was like, no, that's a great idea. Um, and so I stayed around for another year. We ended their deal with the Republic. And then I started Workshop after that. And so now Workshop's been around for almost four years. And we do... We manage five band, we manage four bands, one producer. We have a sync roster of over ten sync-related clients that we built from scratch. We have a branding division that does corporate sponsorships with Hilton, Twix, Ford. I mean, a ton of different companies. And then I'm also a a, a partner and a co-producer in this festival called the Sad Summer Festival, which is like a emo pop punk next layer of Warp Tour, Bamboozle Roadshow. Like it's it's going to hopefully be the next thing. Um, that that genre has for the bigger summer look. So um, we're busy, and but I've been very lucky, and all that ties in from everybody just giving me opportunities probably before I was ready, and then when I was given those opportunities, doing the best I could to keep them. So, yeah. Amen, brother. <laughs> <laughs> that is something, yeah. And that, yeah, it was about 20 minutes of uh, what you've been doing. So, yeah. yeah, but it's great stuff. What did you think of what he said, by the way? I mean, I know a lot of those bands. I listen yeah. to that music, so I was just like, oh my gosh, the entire time. <laughs> um, something that, like, the last thing that you said is a question I had was, because Warped Tour ended, like, last summer, and then this year they're only having, like, the three dates, and then um, Kevin Lyman is saying, like, this is it. This is, like, 25 years, like, I know. <laughs> so, especially with the lineup for Sad Summerfest, I'm like, is the goal, is this, like, a one-shot uh, festival, or is it going to keep trying to go, like, every single year with a different lineup? And, like be the replacement for Warp Tour. Yeah, I think I think our goal is not to be the replacement for Warp Tour. I think that's a steep that's a steep thing to do. If you look at the rooms we're, we're trying to be very curated about the size rooms we're playing, the bands we bring on it. I think we want to give an alternate to what Warp Tour was. Mm -hmm. The goal is to do it for multi-years. We need to get one under our belt. You know, we need to make sure this one is the best fan experience. It goes off well. All the bands have a good time. The fans feel like it was a positive for them. If we do that, this will be a thing we do multiple years um, and hopefully have different bands come in every year and really use the festival as a platform to put those bands on a bigger stage and help them grow. Because that's the one thing we did talk about a year before Warped ended was what happens to the Warped is such a developmental tool that all these labels and managers and bands have used to kind of get to that bigger audience when, when they're just playing clubs. We want to make sure this is an experience that like, fully focuses on the bands. This is not about us. This is not like this is about the bands and making them bigger. If we do that, it's going to be in demand to do next year and we'll have nine different bands that do it. 
um, that will help us curate the lineup and be a part of it. And that's the goal is to create something kind of from the underground. And that's why I think this has worked so far is state champs, the main Mayday Parade, the Wonder Years. They're all a part of like how this is going to look. They're a part of some of the bands that are going to be on the package. They're a part about how the after parties are going to run. Like we're, we're very transparent. We're doing all the things that we felt festivals weren't doing. They weren't transparent with money. They weren't transparent with like lineup times. Like they weren't transparent with like involvement. And transparent was, to the artists or transparent to the, to the fans? Yeah. Okay. It felt like the artist was just jumping in and like, oh, you got to take, we got to take. You playing this festival. We wanted to make something that was like not only the best day for these fans, but for these bands to feel like we're really a part of this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what, even when we, we brought some of the bands out to Phoenix and shot some promos and stuff, all of them were really excited about talking to this. And if you work with bands long enough, you know, most of them are not excited about all, all the aspects of that goes into it, but they really claimed ownership in this. And I hope if we do this multiple years, each year's bands that are headlining feel that same way because then we'll create something special. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So how do we do Let's Let's take a step back. So this festival is beginning. When is the first date? July 5th July in Dallas. July 5th, 2019 in Dallas. For, step back from July 5th to what, we, what do you think was the first day that you started work on this not a- the idea april of last year april of 2018 yeah. so april to april's 12 then uh so about 15 months it'll yeah. take from the day you say okay let's you start working that was the first conversation was okay. with whom who tim, did you tim kirch and mike marquis are my partners on this mm-hmm. tim manages the main mike is an agent at paradigm we all have a very interesting way we've all worked together like so tim's been tour managing or managing bands since he was 18 i've been in music since i was 18 years old tim's first big band was the main his brother is the drummer in the main he's been their manager ever since he's done Mm -hmm. phenomenal things with them he also managed a band called a rocket to the moon that was on fuel by ramen tim was working with a rocket to the moon until they did their record on your side tim got fired Mm -hmm. i started managing rocket to the moon um (laughs) and so we got to know each other through that process and our band still toured together. It was a good experience. Mike has been an agent for both of our bands for a variety of time. He manages, he books bands like Taking Back Sunday and Dashboard Confessional, and he's very involved in this world. And when we decided to do this together, we're like, okay, there's a lot of people we could do this with, and we are not going to really want to do this with anybody else. Like, so if we're doing this, the three of us have to commit to doing this full on. And that's when the conversation started in April. It was just like, Warp Tour's gone. There's nothing that's really, nobody's talking about taking its place. We manage and work with some of the bigger bands in the scene. I mean, you think we could do this? And at first we're like, no, this is a terrible idea. We can't pull this off. And the more we talked about it, and the more we, we talked to Kevin a lot. Um, and he, he Kevin gave, Lyman from Kevin Warped. Lyman from Warp gave us a lot of good input on it. We talked to a lot of promoters that had done skate and surf and bamboozle. And Mike had actually been a partner in bamboozle. Um, and so he, he's like, this is things we did wrong. These are the things we did right. These, this is why we shouldn't go play these gigantic rooms and get bought out first year by Live Nation AG. This is why we should contain it ourselves. Um, and we should make it so every show feels like it sells out. And we should make it so that it's not crazy. We're not having really high product, production expenses. Um, and it was a very thoughtful conversation. So by between April and July, by the time Warp Tour was wrapping up we were like we are doing this um and we had talked to the bands we wanted to do it we're, we're very privileged in the fact that i think 80 percent of the bands we had on a wish list all wanted to do this and the 20 percent that didn't we'll probably do it next year um and so 
it's been fun. It's a different, I never thought I'd get into being a festival producer. It's daunting. It's scary, but it's also like, it's, I tell our bands, it's like, it's a fun time for us all to dream and try to create something different that hopefully is a part of our careers for a while. So, so how did you do it? So you three spoke and did you first talk about, well, you talked about here are the bands that we want. So then you spoke to bands Yeah. and then, uh, did you work with Mike from paradigm and then start getting yeah. holds on venues yes. and, and all so that. So my we first got the bands together that were going to be our main headliners. We figured mm-hmm. if we got four bands, if we got the four bands we wanted, let's see what promoters say about it. And the goal was you're doing 18 shows, 17 uh, places. 17 markets. That was the goal, places. 17 markets? Yep, 17 markets. Pr- predominantly focus on the markets to do the best in this genre mm-hmm. that are best for all of our bands. Let's not go crazy. Don't go into any big rooms that we can't sell and try to be too advantageous. And let's leave some meat on the bone for next year. Um, and so we got the package together by the end of Warp Tour. We knew who were going to be our headliners. Mike started talking to different venues and saying, if we did this, would you want to be a part of it? And we talked to people that were in the early promoters for Warp Tour. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like, let's go and play all the same room. It's like, let's get with people that know how to do this so that it's a good experience. And for us being first-year festival producers, we're not getting too in and over our head. Um, he got the holds, he got the offers, we built the rest of the lineup out. I think by November we had the entire package done, we had the entire tour confirmed. Um, we had to wait till March to announce because State Champs had a headlining tour that was playing a lot of these markets, so we had to wait till that played. Um, and then also we wanted to add some special guests, so we needed to see how much money we had to play with. And we were lucky enough to where the offers came in well enough to where we were going to make some money. The bands are going to make some money and we could have a couple of spot dates where it's like, let's throw on every Avenue in Detroit. That's a big market for them. Let's throw on forever. The sickest kids in Texas. Let's th- like, and we cherry picked like bands we thought would be like fun, like day of editions that might generate some buzz. And then so we said, let's announce in March, which initially felt too late for us. We we're like, we need to be up by January and we couldn't do it. We went up in March. We were the first festival of this genre to go first to market, which was huge for us. And we teased it and built some anticipation. And by the time it came out, kids were stoked. And the lineup had been leaked so many different ways that were wrong that it was kind of amusing to us. And we were just like, yeah, keep keep saying that. And then it came out and like kids were genuinely excited. Um, the sales have been really good so far. We still have a lot of work to do. And our goal now is like to make sure this entire experience feels like what it should be from like the activations on site from like the photo booths and the backdrops and the signature stuff that kids can like physically put their hands on and take selfies with and touch to how they're going to meet the bands. We didn't do a VIP. We didn't want to upcharge kids. We charged a ticket that was $40 or less for all these bands when all the headliners can charge $33 on their own. So a lot of these bands left money on the table to do this as a, as a test experiment to see if it worked. Um, And I think because that kid saw this is a great value. Also, it's a fun outdoor thing that we can do all day and let's just try it. And so kids are betting on us and we're hoping that we're giving them something to bet on by the end of it. Yeah. So uh, Paradigm's the agent for it. Yep. Are you guys promoting it yourselves? Do you have independent promoters in each market? Yeah, so we, each promoter, each venue has their own promoter that's working in tandem with us. Mm-hmm. Um, we own the festival, so we're the ones paying out all the bands and stuff like right. that. But but the promoters are giving us guarantees to offset a lot of that stuff, and they're also building it locally. Like yeah. in Philly, who's the promoter in Philly? Uh... I'm not trying to put you on it's the spot. It's Live Nation. Yeah, Live yeah, Nation. Okay, so some, some are Live Nation. Some are Live some Nation, are some are AG, some are Mom and Pops. Like okay, so in Worcester, um, 
the promoter there is at Mass Concerts, which is which is a bigger regional promoter. But he does Self Help Fest. He did Warp Tour. He's he's been a part of all these things, and his excitement for it was bigger than anybody else. He's like, we're going to sell seven thousand tickets. And we're like, you are crazy, mm-hmm. and we might. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool, you know. Right. So it's like, but he's done all those outdoor things, and he was like, come to Worcester, don't go to Boston. We're like, Worcester. He's like, come to Worcester, don't go to Boston, and it'll be the biggest show of the tour, by far. Hmm. So it's a lot of people that like have worked with us before. Um, yeah, it's a mixture. We didn't it, we didn't want it all to be a live nation. We didn't all want it all to be AG. We did not want it all to be local promoters. We wanted to be the, with the best people in each market. I think we did that. And did you get investors in the beginning nope. to, to fund it? So nope. it's strictly fund self funded. Self funded. It's self funded by us and also by the guarantees. So mm. if these shows don't sell well, we're writing some big checks. Um, mm, right. And, but I think we were smart with it. You know, like we we picked the right room, so we weren't going and getting these huge checks and being like, oh, we're going to make a fortune. We probably won't make hardly any money on it this mm-hmm. first year. Well, the goal is not to lose money. Not first to lose year. You money. can break even. Totally. We're fine. You win. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. To not lose money and to do it in a way that feels like we want our name attached to this. And this is something we could see ourselves doing every summer. Right. Yeah. Then you could see it taking off. You totally. Know, and who markets. knows how big it can become yeah. after that point. But we got to do it right. Mm-hmm. So that's the goal. What questions do you have about? Because you wanted to talk a lot about the the festival. Um, I just want to comment on something else that you said that I think is really important. Is I know when Warp Tour said they were ending, I said it to a lot of people. I said, what's going to happen to this genre of music? Because that's where you find so many bands. I can name like 15 bands that I've found at Warp Tour just because I'm walking around or because um, all press writes an article about them and then I check them out. So it's just like what is the fate of this genre? And I literally thought it was going to die. I was like, mm-hmm. it's going to like fall apart. And then that summer it was like announced and I was like, there's like something. And I kept wondering, I was like, is it only going to be one year? And you just like answered, it's hopefully not going to be one year. So I think like, I personally think it's going to be really pivotal. Like mm-hmm. I think it has a lot of potential and it's what is needed in this specific genre right now. Yeah. And I think it's at the perfect time. So I hope so. Yeah. yeah. I hope you're right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, that's not as much a question. That's just yeah. like a thought. Back. That's, that's very kind. Yeah. Yeah. So, so did you have more or no? Oh, no. Okay. So, so routing of it. Mm-hmm. Um, like I, I did notice and tell me if it's changed. I think you did have Asbury Park, New Jersey. Asbury Park's on there. And yep. you also have New York and you have Philly. Mm-hmm. So there are three markets that are, yep. they're separate markets if you're a DIY band. Totally. If you're a bigger tour, it's almost one. They're competing. Or, or, yeah. So what was the thinking there? Those are our biggest markets for all of our bands. Mm-hmm. Like Jersey is Mayday Parade's biggest market. New York is State Champs' hometown biggest market. Philly is the Wonder Years' hometown biggest market. Um, it felt right. Mm-hmm. You know? So they're all close, but they're all, in a weird way, they're different markets. And they're rabid. Like the, the New Jersey market is rabid for these bands. Mm-hmm. Philly is rabid for these bands. And of those... Those were those were the those are the three rooms where we're like if we can do those if we can do Pier Seventeen in New York if we can do the if we can do the summer stage in Asbury Park and if we can do that big outdoor thing in in Philly holy crap that'll look huge mm-hmm. and and those are going to be massive like Pier Seventeen overlooks the entire city it's a beautiful look and when all these pictures get taken and drones are going up in the air that's the impression we want people to say. Mayday Parade, the main state champs, and the Wonder Years are huge bands. Because that that's what we're doing this for. We are all bands that would have been on main stage of Warp Tour, but may not have necessarily be seen as the closer. 
this is to put the stamp on we've built something good mm-hmm. over the last 10 years. And for those other bands like Just Friends and Stan Atlantic and Mom Jeans and all the special guests we're going to have, these are the bands you need to keep your eye on. Mm-hmm. Because they're, next year, they're going to be the ones selling 700 to 1,000 tickets, and you're going to see them here first. What was your – and what – Let's say it's successful. Mm-hmm. So what is going to be your, your curation process for next year? Because you know you're going to get hit up by every agent and every We already are. Yeah. Yeah. They're, yeah. Already, they're like, you already got plans for next year? And like, we have to get through <laughs> August. We made a pact <laughs> that if we did not get through this in August, we would never do this again. Yeah. Um, we have some bands in mind. Mm-hmm. And I think by August, we're going to know this was a great idea or we were crazy. And by then, we'll start discussing between then and November – who do we want to send offers out for? Who do we want to have to do it this next year? Do we want to go bigger? Do we want to do multi-stages? Do we want to stick with one stage? Do we want to try some different markets? Do we want to try some bigger rooms? Do we want to try some smaller rooms? Um, I think we'll have fine-tuned it a little bit by that to say, this is what we did wrong. This is what we did okay. This is what we did right. Yeah, the key is you're going to learn so much. So much. <laughs> now, yeah. are you going to be at every show? No, thank God. I okay. thought I was going to have to get a tour bus for the thing just for all of us to ride on. I'm going to be at – I think we're splitting it up to where it's like 40-40 – 40, 40, 20, or 40, 30, 30 between me and the other partners. There'll be some that we're all at all the show at mm-hmm. like New York. We're all going to be at New York. Anaheim, we're going to all be in Anaheim. But like me and Tim are going to Dallas. Marquis going to Philly. Um, Tim and Nick, who's the state champs manager, and probably Marquis are going to go to Worcester. Um, I'm going to do Chicago. So we're going to split it up to where outside of like Columbus and Pittsburgh markets that should, that are already on pace to sell out and do well. We're going to be at every other mm-hmm. show. Right. You know? And we have a great, like, we have Lisa Brownlee, who's the tour manager who did Warp Tour for 25 years. She's running the show. So I have all the faith in the world of her to doing it. And then also, like, our production managers are like the mains tour manager and Made a Praise tour manager or production managing the tour. We have, we work with them for five to six years each. We have the utmost confidence in them to do it. We're sharing crew with bands to do the actual festival crew. We're hiring some people out that are really good top dogs at this. So, like, we've, we've invested in making sure this is as seamless as possible. And if we have a couple of slaps in the face that come up, they really will be surprises because we're all putting in 18 years of doing this to try to make something that we think can work. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm sure there will be plenty of things that slap us in the face and be like, I cannot believe we did not think about this. Mm-hmm. Right. We'll figure it out. And it is, you're calling it a festival. Mm-hmm. So it's, is it, I'm, I look at it, I consider it like festival slash tour, like yeah. festival, like in quotes, you know, totally. more in the marketing, but it's a, a tour of all it's, these it's, bands. It's, it's a touring festival, I guess okay. is the best way yeah. to put it. Like, I think Bamboo's a Roadshow is a good example of what that is. Like, it's, it's a culmination of bands in this world that are all a little bit different going and hitting multiple markets. We didn't want to do a festival because Tim has a festival in Phoenix called the 8123 Festival, which mm-hmm. did like 5,000 people this past year. I went to that. It was awesome. But the main has their own curated thing. Mayday will probably eventually have their own curated thing. I could see Champs doing it eventually. We want to do something bigger than that. It's not, I mean, it's, it's arrogant to say it's not that hard to throw a one-day festival in your hometown and sell it to your biggest base. But it's a lot more aggressive to try to sell it for three and a half weeks mm-hmm. in multiple markets that have different demand for these types of bands. But that's what we signed up for, and that's what we're going to try to do. So. And you don't, and the re, where I was going was, as a tour, you don't have to worry about porta potties. You know, are there yes. enough toilets? You don't have to worry about because now I'm starting to think Woodstock. Totally, uh, the Woodstock in uh, shoot in upstate New York, not Bethel mm-hmm. Woods, the other Woodstock, yeah. um, the Michael Lang one is going through so much just totally. because. And then we had the Fire Festival where yep. they just didn't think 
yeah. you know, through or all that stuff has got brought up to us multiple times. Like you guys aren't getting it over your head. Like, no, 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 no. Like that's why we have local promoters in each of these towns that have either the venues or run enough shows in these types of rooms where they know we have to have X amount of porta potties for this amount of people. We have to X amount of security. We have to have food trucks. We have to have water available. Like we, we're going through that ironclad just in the wake of both of those, not doing anything ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, to make sure we're not like that. But it's also at a smaller scale. We're not bringing in 70,000 people a day mm-hmm. type of thing, which we're not Coachella. We're like it, but, but we might be emo Coachella. We're trying to create something yeah. like uh-huh. kind of curated at a smaller level for those specific fans. But yeah, safety and health and cons- like all that's a concern. Like, and we've had probably more calls about that than not to make sure this is a positive experience because most of our audience is teenage. Mm-hmm. It's college kids. It's teenage kids. Like, you have to be very careful that they're not going too hard or getting it's too hot during the day and they're dehydrating totally. And, or like this is a 10 hour show that they have food. They can right. have lunch and dinner, like that they can get in, in a safe place that there's security to catch them. If they crowd surf, like you have to be cognizant of all that stuff. And that's why it was important for us not to just take on all the liability and say, let's just rent the rooms ourselves and do it because then that is a whole different, like that's where I give a lot of credit to the warp tour. They use local promoters too. But that is Kevin's show. Mm-hmm. Kevin and his staff put that on from like the first bus in. He's parking them mm-hmm. to like making sure the trash is all there. Like that is an undertaking that would be very hard for the three of us to do when one of us is a major booking agent and two of us are managers of big level clients. It'd be kind of crazy. So we want to do it the smart way and with people that knew that market the best to say, okay, if we hit 5,000 tickets, we have to add this and not be the, the tour that's like coming through. It's like, yeah, let's skimp on that. Let's, let's save some money. Like I'm all about spending the right money to make sure this is positive. So I don't get a call being like somebody got hurt. Somebody died. Like that's the worst case scenario. Could it happen? Yeah. We have insurance to cover that. But I, but I hope that it's a positive experience. These kids go and be like, that's really cool. They did that for us. I was just going to ask you about the insurance. Mm-hmm. Is that a per show uh, Both it's, thing, it's, or is it just covers the entire covers the entire tool. liability okay. of all of us working into it, but also it's a per date thing. So we have two million dollars worth of insurance to cover every show, which can happen from everything from injury, which will probably happen mm-hmm. to death, which hopefully will not happen to, um, God forbid, anything else kind of happens. You know, even vehicles breaking down, we have that covered and stuff like that. So we're we're overly insured <laughs> in a lot of ways. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, totally. Michelle and I were actually in the lobby here of the hotel because we're at Music Biz in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And um, we were talking, there was a couple there, and th- this guy uh, brought up to her, because you mentioned festivals or you wanted to be, do tour managing or something. Yeah. And I brought up to you about uh, Ultra Fest, I guess, in, in Florida. And yeah. then some guy started talking about the drugs. And he's like, what, what's, the dr- dr- what's the drug they use now? Yeah. And you said it's Molly? Yeah. 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 Very, very popular at Ultra Fest. <laughs> I've not been to Ultra. It's not my yeah. But yeah. Totally. So, so how do you, I don't want to say that's not a concern for you or, or is, but is there anything you can do? Because I've seen some video of, of some other bigger like uh, festivals where they're checking social media constantly, you know, for uh, traffic. What are they hashtagging about? Mm-hmm. You know, get this here, get this there, things like that. Totally. Well, you're you're in sort of a smaller, yep. vent, more contained place than a, a fairground, you totally. know, of, of 300 acres. Do you do any? Uh, I don't want. 
I think I think if we note if we notice stuff yeah. like that's popping up, we'd have conversations with promoters. We'd have conversations with security. Yeah. Like we're gonna have direct lines to everybody throughout the day of what's going on. We're not gonna be able to monitor everything, and that's why we're hopefully right. hiring really good security to oversee it in a safe way. Security that's gonna take care of these kids and not just throw them on the ground and right. treat them like trash. Like we we're working with specific security companies that have done this type of work before, and that stuff's gonna happen in any kind of live outdoor thing. But hopefully. The goal is to keep it as safe as possible. And if we notice stuff, like all of our teams are going to be on social media. I'm already, every day I spend more time on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook just checking comments to try to answer than I feel like I should be doing. But I want this to go well and I want every kid not to be like, I don't know what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, so we're all obsessively doing that, unfortunately, right, right. now. So, yeah. So you're juggling a lot of things right now. You, totally. you, you're doing the day-to-day artist management yep. and you're, you're spending a lot of time on the festival. Plus you have the other, the, the sync yeah. deals and the brain development. So how are you doing all of this? How big is the company? Let's, let's go back so to I have, workshop management. I have two, two full-time employees and I have three interns mm-hmm. and it's me. So we're very small. We're very DIY. We're very boutique. Um, but you're not in a, in a closet anymore. I'm not, I'm in a slightly bigger office than the closet. Not much bigger. Um, but I've I've got a two second story of a building on music row and I've had one employee that's been with me for four years. It's incredible. Her name is Jen. She's a manager. She manages three of our bands or co-manages them with me. What's her name? Who does she manage? Jen Jen Stuckey. Um, she manages a band from Illinois called Ashland. It's on rise, Mm -hmm. um, that they're going to have a record out later this summer, early fall. They're doing some of the sad summer dates, um, they're also going to be on tour this fall with our last night. Um, she, she co-manages I, the mighty with me, which is a band on equal vision that we manage. That's out with Polyphia right now. And it's going out with Amberlin this summer and making a new record after that. Um, and she manages a young songwriter in town named Emily cop, who we discovered and are kind of developing are going to relaunch her career under a different name with a project later this year. Um, so Jen manages those three. We also have Madison, who's my office assistant. She oversees all the licensing sync stuff, so she's my admin on that stuff. Um, Madison's been with us for over a year, um, and they're incredible. I, I could not run the business without them. They are really the glue and the details that hold it together. Um, so they work with us, and then we have, just like when I was a kid, like we have three unpaid interns that come in and then do everything from social media updating to iCal updating to if they have to run and get coffee, but more so like they're there to be kind of the, the sponge in between. It's like, Oh, you missed this. You missed this. I got this. Don't worry about it. And we all have to be on top of our game or else we miss stuff. And for a business as small as we are, that's doing as much as we are. If we're not all paying attention and letting stuff slip through the cracks, our clients don't break, our clients fire us and they move on from us and we don't have a business. So like we have to be very cognizant of what we're picking up to know that we can do the work in the right way. And I'm lucky that everybody that works for me has grown in such a quick, rapid pace and also is very vested in this business doing well. When you're a small startup, people are not coming to work for you for money, <laughs> especially if you're a management startup. So they're, they're coming for opportunities and hopefully we're giving them the opportunity to grow and build their own career with their own roster um, that they're proud of as well. So, yeah. Okay. And then how, how are you keeping your personal energy level up you're doing so much. It seems like you've been doing it since, uh, since Napster was born. Yeah. So it's, it's a 20 year ride. Yeah. You know, so it's been a long time. I mean, I think it's so ingrained in who I am now. There's definitely, trust me this weekend, I literally did nothing but watch Netflix and go to shack, like shake shack and eat cheeseburgers. And there's nothing like, wrong with that, by nothing. the way. Cause I think <laughs> when I asked you earlier, are you going on every one of these dates? Yeah. I think people need to understand if you want to be a manager, you want to do that. You don't have to go to every no. show. Number one, it's an, it's an expense. Totally. Number two, 
um, I was talking to um, the manager of Arizona a while back. Yeah. And I said, do you go to every show? He goes, I can't. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd like to, but I really can't because I'm not doing all the stuff at home totally. that I should be doing. Yeah. Uh, Brian Schechter, who used to manage uh, My Chemical Romance, yeah. went on every show with them totally. all over Europe, all over. He said, and as I'm gone, the, the, the house of cards is falling totally. behind me because nothing is getting done because I'm yeah. on the road and it's, I'm having a blast. It's great. Nothing's getting done. So yeah. um, I hate going on the road. I did it for two and a half years as a tour manager. I'm good. If I can fly to three shows a tour and see everybody and make sure everything's good, I hire really good people. My, my touring crew is amazing. My bands are all accountable. That's a big thing when you sign a band is making sure they are accountable, trustworthy, good human beings. The people in the band. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, everybody has their role to play, and they know if I'm at this show, that is, that is 24 hours I'm not in my office. And where I'm at my best is in my office on my phone. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the place I'm most calm, collected, assured, because I know everything, I know everything's around me that I need to get, and I know how to deal with it. When I'm on the road, oh, I got to do, I got to do emails on my phone. I'm not good at that, <laughs> you know. Like, or I got to find the Wi-Fi. Oh, I'm not good at that. Or I have to have my setup. It's easier for me to roll calls, like literally walk into the office, start rolling calls, start doing my emails, go home, take a brief break, do my emails at night till one o'clock in the morning, go to sleep, wake up, come back in and do it. And that's because that's the system over 17 years of doing it that I've learned makes me feel the less anxious, the most together, and that I'm doing my best. And so when I have to travel, that takes a little bit out of it, and I have to make that up on the back end, which can burn you out over time. But I've also figured out ways to, like, balance that. So, like, I'll take two vacations a year where I completely am gone. You can't get me. Mm -hmm. The only person that has my number is my assistant. And if I'm getting called on my hotel line, somebody's in trouble. Right. Yeah. So, um, but I've had to do a lot of that stuff just to cre- create boundaries and also to allow myself to have some breathing room to be a human being and not just a manager. Because most people are just managers that only focus on this or burnout or they're bad people. And you want to have a break and be a normal human being if you're going to work with good-hearted, normal people and helping them. Yeah, so. I mean, I, I would think that um, – it's, it's important to, as a manager because your health is just as important totally. as the health of your bands totally. and um, not feeling guilty when you, like you said, when you shut down totally. because you need to, you yeah. know, whether it's for, for family or just like you said last weekend, just Shake Shack and Netflix, yeah. Yeah. you know, but that, that, it re-energizes you. You know, I do that. You know, sometimes yeah. I, I just get burned and I need one day. Usually I need 24 hours of just get me away from everything. Totally. Then by like hour 23, I feel, I feel it again. And then yeah. I'm, then I'm back, totally. you know, but you have to, I, I had a band that Mayday was out in Asia these past two weeks and in Asia, they're 13 hours ahead or behind us, depending on where you're at. So like at eight o'clock in the morning, it's 8 PM at night for them. So they're just getting, getting going at mm-hmm. that point. So at three o'clock in the morning, my time, they're calling me because it's three o'clock in the afternoon and they just did prep. So like I have to mentally be able to say, okay, I need to get enough sleep. I need to prepare for bad calls that could happen because they're in Asia. Who knows what the hell is going to go on over there? Um, but I also need to be alert so that I'm rested. So when they when something somebody calls me at four o'clock in the morning and says, "Hey, the flight's messed up. I need you to rebook the flight," or our baggage didn't come here, or they don't have the right backline, instead of being like, "Why are you waking me up?" I can go, yeah. "Okay, have you called this person, this person, this person?" Because then the call takes three minutes instead of two hours, mm-hmm. and. When I was 25 getting started, I didn't know how to do that. Now that I'm 37 and have done it for a while, I've got a system in place, and I've thought through all those problems for the most part before they happen. So when they do happen, I said, hang on one second, let me open up my notes. 
call this person, call this person, do this. Did you try this? Did you try this? Did you try this? Because then you have to remember, I'm probably calling a tour manager or a merch person who's 25, 26, same way I was when Howie Day's manager was being like, calm down. This is fine. You can, you can sell $80,000 of merch in a night. Or I could call Aaron Pincus at William Morris and he could say, you need to ram the promoter for this or you need to be nice to this person for this because they lost money tonight. And I had to learn the narrative of how to do that so that when crew people or musicians or anyone on our team calls us and they're frustrated, I can say, did you think about it this way? And they can say, no. Oh, cool. It's not just about you right now. Mm -hmm. It's a bigger operation. And if you act like an asshole to this person and you act like a jerk to this person, who do you think they're going to they gonna remember you? Mm-hmm. The tour manager, the merch assistant, or are they going to remember the band that came in? Are they going to give us a lower offer next time? They're not going to bring us back to this territory next time? Is the band upset or are they happy right now? It's all these things that go into making sure people are healthy and operating on the road that's hard to do when you haven't done it before. And I've been very blessed that I was able to do it at such a young age. Like when I was out with Howie, I was 23. You know who the next youngest person on the road was? 38 years old. <laughs> And anytime I had any kind of attitude or like was like, oh, I'm above this, I don't need to be, whew, that was checked real quick. <laughs> yeah. um, and now I can do it in not such a harsh way, but I can say like, hey, like, you're getting a look right now. Like, this is going to help you here. And like, kids can look at me like our touring crew or the kids that are interning for us or like the people that work for me know that I'm not reading them a line of bull. Like, most of them have not had as hard of a time as I had to get in the music business to have the opportunities and they know that I'm going to point them in the right direction or help them get to where they want to go because that's more important longevity is they all do well than me just saying, no, nah, I just do it my way. Because my way is not right a lot of the time. But if I get a lot of people's opinions and, have, and I take my perspective, I think my perspective is usually really good. And I can create something out of my perspective of everyone's opinions to get it to where the band's happy, the crew's happy, the record label's happy, the publicist's happy, the agent's happy, and the venue's happy. If I do that, everybody wins. And I think our listeners are happy because we have to, we have to shut it down. Cool. Yeah. But Thank this is great. This, yeah. this should have been a four-hour interview. <laughs> this could be a documentary because I have actually more to talk about, but this is great. So, Josh Terry, thank you thank very you. much for being on Music Biz 101 and More. Michelle, thank you very much for being on Music Biz 101 and More. Anytime. Really? Yeah. Okay. 3 a.m. There you go. There we go. Put 3 a.m. in Asia. We're gonna she call wants to be you a tour up. manager. Make her work it. <laughs> That's yeah. it. That's it. <laughs> so, thank you all for listening to Music Biz 101 and More on Brave New Radio. Give our love to Dr. Esteban Marconi. At the end of every show, we do not say hello. You want to know what we say? And you can say say it with me. It's very cool. You have to say it with me very loud. Ready? Adios! Adios!
bonita In your mind like a picha Get respect like Aretha Like a siren should lead ya And her beauty is deeper This was inside She's of the time If you search you will find Her love is divine It's past what you see When you look with your eyes Thank mm-hmm. you.